Jesus draw people to himself. He is magnetic. And so for three weeks, we are choosing to talk about a different topic each week, some, some places that we believe we can improve, some ways that we can love better, that, that we see Jesus magnetic through his church. Um, last week, we talked about our kids and how, how we work together will change how a generation sees God. He is magnetic through that. Um, next week, we're going to talk about worship, and, and we're gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing how God, God's going to grow us there. When, when we do that right, he is magnetic. This week, I, I want you to start to contemplate the fact that radical compassion is magnetic. Radical compassion is magnetic. And so I'm going to set it up for you by by really giving you a picture of the first followers of Jesus. This begins in a city called Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was killed. That's where he was raised. That's where he told his followers to hang out until the Holy Spirit was going to come and the Holy Spirit was going to empower them to do what he tells them to do in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. If you're ever wondering, what did the first Jesus followers do once Jesus ascended back to heaven, Acts is where you need to go. And I want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It begins to give us a clue of what happened every day. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, the temple is where that they would always tend to go. The temple was a big area, though. Now, in order for large groups of people to come together, they would meet in the, in the general big courts of the temple. Remember, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the church goes to 3,000 like that. Well, to handle hundreds or thousands of people, you've got to have a big space. And so they would meet together in the temple courts. But watch what else. They broke bread in their homes. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch what happens. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Come on, I want to be a part of that pattern, right? Daily people who are turning their life over to Jesus. So what did it look like? They had large gatherings, kind of like this one. That's the pattern we use. We come together on a regular basis where we can meet in in large groups of people, and we celebrate, we worship, we, we, we dig into God's Word. But they also, we're told, were in these small gatherings. And for us, for many years, Um, That has also been the desired pattern for us where we see people come together in what we call life teams. Life teams. It's people coming together. Sometimes they do eat together, but they're praying together. They're walking out life together. The struggles together. It's together. 
That's the way it was designed. So you got this picture of uh, around the, the table of a life team. You got, you got those mature believers that we talked about last week. I mean, they're, they're in with Jesus and they know how to sit at the table and feed, but then they know how to push away from the table and, and they are on the mission that, that he's called them to. Uh, around those life team groups, there's, there's those new believers who have just stepped across the line. So they're learning how to feed from God's word. They're learning how to connect with, with, with one another. They're learning how to do what others have done for them. And then together, everybody's got their eye and their heart on this chair. It's the not yet. It's the empty chair at the life team. The person who who hasn't yet been introduced to Jesus or the person who has been introduced but they haven't yet put their their faith in Jesus, it's it's the empty chair. It's the one who has not yet stepped into the kingdom of God. This was the mission that Jesus gave us. And so we just, we love this picture of people coming together, life teams who are feasting on God's word together, living it out together, and their hearts are on the mission where Jesus said, this chair, it's the chair. Years later, as you read the Bible, you go all the way to Acts chapter 20. It's still happening that way. It's still happening that way. Acts chapter 20, Paul says, you, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything to you that would be helpful all right, so he's, he's talking to some folks later on, Paul, who's planting churches. He said, I, if it was helpful, I'd preach it to you. But I have taught you publicly and how? House to house. I teach you in the big gatherings and I've sat at the table with you. I just want you to see that when you read the book of Acts, you really can't get away from this pattern of the church coming together, big gatherings, but also what we call life teams. They've been going on a long, long time. It's what the first Jesus followers did. And it worked. It worked. Let me show you a picture of how we see this work in the book of Acts. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4, and let me just walk you through some of these verses, because I think you will find them interesting. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 is where we're going to start. Let's, let's just get this line. All the believers were one in heart and mind. How about that? Just that statement by itself. Anybody ever been in a church conflict? Anybody ever been in a church fight? Everybody, anybody ever seen the church not act like the church? But man, I'm saying, how cool is this statement? All the believers were one in heart and mind. They're getting along. Let's keep going. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's a word that we find, it's, it's called the word stewardship. If you, it's kind of in churches about the only place you hear the word stewardship. The word stewardship means I don't see my stuff as my stuff. 
That's what it says right here. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. That's stewardship. I don't see my stuff as my stuff. I see my stuff as God's stuff. He owns it all. He's the one who's given me what I've been given. My only question is, God, how do you want me to use this? How do you want me to manage this? My stuff is not my stuff. Nobody claimed that their possessions was their own. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Next line. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They're like, he was dead, and now he's not. He was dead, and now he's back. We, we have touched the nail prints in his hand, and we're just telling you, we, we get to testify to what we know to be true. He's alive. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wait a minute. Let me read that line again. There were no needy persons among them. All the widows cared for. All the orphans cared for. If you were a part of this community in the beginning and your husband died, and you didn't have sons or, or anyone else in your family to, to help care for you and in a day where often might made right, and, and so a, a lady left by herself in that society and that culture was, was just often susceptible to, 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 to danger. But if you lived in this group of people, you lived in this community, they took care of you. Now I want you to notice it doesn't say that there was no poverty. It just says when there was poverty, the church stepped. The church stepped up. When, when there was a need, the, the church would step forward and meet that need. How did they do that? The next verse tells us. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone that had need. So here's how it worked. Sometimes they would just liquidate tangible assets. Like, hey, these folks, they... They, they need to be cared for. They, they got this hurt in their life. They got this need in their life. Hey, these, these orphans, these widows, these. And so they would just liquidate tangible assets, a piece of property, an orchard, whatever it was. And they would take the money. And when it says they put it at the apostles' feet, what that basically means in, in that language, in that culture is here, use it. It means I'm giving it and I'm not trying to control it. This is not a, hey, I'll do this as long as it goes to. No, this is, we're, we're putting it at your feet and saying however it needs to be used. Now, here, here's the question I'm getting. Does that seem extreme? Does that seem extreme? Anybody ever been in a church like that? Like there were no needy people. Because people would like, sell their property if they had to in order to meet needs. Like, no needs. 
Everybody taken care of. Nobody saw their stuff as their stuff. They were, they were just willing to, to say, hey, this is God's stuff. And, and how, does that seem extreme? And I'm saying, yes, I, I think it sounds extreme. And here's why. Radical compassion requires radical inconvenience. And to be honest with you, we live in a day where most people are allergic to inconvenience. Radical compassion requires radical inconvenience. And most people in the, the day in which we live are allergic to inconvenience. <clears throat> Guy's driving home from work, gets a call from his wife who's also driving home from work and says, hey, could you, could you stop by the grocery store and pick up some soy sauce? And he says, well, I could, but I'm, I'm already past the store. I, I'm already past the store. I've, I've already passed the grocery store on my way home. Why do, we, why do we need some soy sauce? And by the time she can unpack the reasons of why we need soy sauce, you're 60 seconds closer to home. By the way, Jen and I have never had this conversation. I just hear that people have these conversations sometimes, all right? It just, it just happens. And, and, and it's like, she says, well, on your way home, could you, could you get the soy sauce? And it's like, well, for one, it's not on my way anymore because I'm already past the grocery store. It would be out of my way to get the soy sauce. Pause. Okay, I'll go get the soy sauce. I'll go back and get the soy sauce. I'm saying, you stop and think about it. We really do have, we really do tend to have allergic reactions to inconvenience. And it's why radical compassion is so rare. Because in order to do that, you have to set aside your program. And you gotta jump on board with somebody else's program. Yours goes on hold. And the frustrating thing is you can't even move at the pace you want to move. you got to move at their pace, right? You, you start jumping on somebody else's program and what they need, and, and, and you, you can't even, you can't, I'm saying it's inconvenient and it's inefficient. But what if the church, like what if the church was known for radical compassion? I wonder if it would be like the early church, where daily, daily, people were coming to meet Jesus. I wonder if daily, life teams would see suddenly somebody sitting in the empty chair. With radical compassion, it is amazing how magnetic Jesus is. Bill shows up at the funeral home. He's there to check on a buddy that he had met at church. His name's Kenny. Kenny's dad has died, and Bill 
has just decided to stop by. Bill is a, Bill is a realtor. Um, the funeral home visitation is from 3 to 5. And Bill's got just enough time to stop by the funeral home, check in on Kenny, and be able to get back to what he needs to do as, as a realtor. And when he walks into the funeral home, Kenny sees him from across the room, and Kenny walks over to where Bill is and says to Bill, Welcome to the freak show. Kenny's talking about his family. Bill says, what do you mean? And Kenny says, well, family dysfunction does not get healed when there is a tragedy. It just gets exposed. And Bill suddenly finds himself in this conversation. And Bill's phone is in the car. Bill's a realtor. He's got... He's got two home openings tomorrow. He's, he's got numerous texts that, that he knows he had to follow up with right when he gets back into the car. He knows it. And, and even though his, 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 his phone is in the car, in the parking lot, and he can feel it going off while he's talking to Kenny. He can, he can feel it. He, he knows that the calls and the texts and the emails, they, they are mounting up while he's talking to Kenny, and he's trying to figure out what to do when all of a sudden Kenny looks at him and says, you know, I've suddenly realized I'm not grieving the loss of my dad. I'm really grieving the dad I never had. Remember what Bill thought when he walked into the funeral home. I got, I got just, I got just a minute. I got just a minute to stop by the funeral home and I can, I can check on Kenny. And that just a minute turns into an hour and a half of listening to a man whose heart is broken. And Bill suddenly realizes I need to be at this funeral tomorrow, too. By the time Bill gets back to his car, his phone is just blown up. It's because radical compassion requires radical inconvenience. Like, well, why would we do that? You're like, well, that's, that's, why. that's, why, I don't, that's why I don't engage. I, I, I hear you. It's the, the person who's that, why would I, why would I be a, a middle school life team leader? Why, why would I do that? Right? Why, why, would, I, why, why would I serve in, in a nursery once a month to take care of, of people's kids when I could be in the, in the big room, you know, be, being able to, to be with, with everybody. And, and, and we, why, why would I do that? Why would I step into a, a marriage situation that's messy and, and try to help? Why, why would I get involved with broken families? Why would I ever consider any financially, you know, financial counseling? Why would I be inconvenienced? And my question is, well, why did the first church, why did the first believers, why, why was it that they, they so got along and they so shared everything they had? What was their motivation that they belonged to this group of people that was like, man, we belong. We belong. 
just a couple thoughts here. I think the why starts with it was envisioned by Jesus. Why they did that way, why they acted that way, it was envisioned by Jesus. My, my point is this was not their idea. It was given to them by Jesus. I, the, 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 first, the, the first believers didn't, didn't sit down after the Holy Spirit came and said, okay, okay, we, we need to be about something here. What, what is this going to be? Let's see, we need some bylaws and we need a constitution and we need to figure out a mission statement and then let's get some values. And somebody said, hey, I think, I think one of the values should be compassion. Nope. Nope. The reason they knew is because just a few months before, Jesus sat down at a table with his disciples for the last time. And in just a few hours, he would be arrested. By the next day, he would be laying in a tomb. And around that table that night, this is what Jesus said, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm telling you, that's how they knew. It's because Jesus, he envisioned this. Jesus, this wasn't a suggestion, it was the command. He said, this is what you do. Now, years later, as the Jesus movement is, is expanding, we, we see the pictures throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul, again, who's planting churches, he says to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Jesus. Well, what's the law of Christ? What's the, what's the Jesus law? It went like this. Love God with all you got, right? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor and love one another. That's the Jesus law. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. That's how they're going to know that you belong to me. And Paul comes along and he goes, that's exactly right. Anybody know life gets heavy? Paul says, anybody know that life gets heavy and that you were never intended to carry that alone? Grief is heavy. We, we are reminded way too often around here, grief is heavy. And it's not supposed to be carried alone. And so when Bill steps into the funeral home for Kenny, it's in order to wait, make the weight a little lighter. Family challenges are heavy. Financial burdens are heavy. Isn't it funny how we use the word we have heavy student loans? Yeah, they're heavy, right? Heavy student loans. 
And so here's a couple with heavy student loans who are sitting around a table, a life team, but they've also got some people in their life team who have a, a few more years that they have of life under them and, and a little more time to work and a little more time to, to be financially where they need to be. And, and so one of these couples at the table, um, their, their family's getting bigger, they're having more kids, and, and they actually need, a, they need a, a bigger dining room table. And so when they do that, they... They say to the other couple, hey, we have, we have this table. won't fit us anymore, but it, it's really nice, and would you like to have it? And you and I go, well, that's not that big a deal. It is if you're so financially strapped that you can't buy a dining room table to start your marriage or your family. It didn't fix their loans, but it sure made it a little lighter, right? It's just the everyday stuff. It's walking it out together. It's we're not supposed to be in this alone. A life well spent is one that learns to recognize the burdens that people carry and then figuring out how to come alongside. By the way, all that's a lot easier if it feels like the person deserves it, right? But if they're in the mess because they created the mess, somebody should talk about that. So why? It's envisioned by Jesus, and this honors him. He's the one who, who, who modeled it. He's the one who said this is what it's to be about. When you find yourself in that moment that you want to be radically compassionate, and yet when you get in there, it's suddenly so inconvenient that you're going, why in the world did I ever walk into this? It honors him. It honors him. And secondly, it is fueled by grace. Why would we do it? It's fueled by grace. Grace. Check out Acts chapter 4 again. It says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. This was not about duty. This was not about guilt. It was God's grace at work. Months earlier, Jesus willingly stretched out his arms on that cross. They knew that Jesus gave his life for them. And now they are to do the same. A great question is who are you looking out for? Who are you looking out for? Right? Who is it that God's put on the radar? Who is, it, who is it that has your attention that you see some needs, you see some burden? Who are you looking out for? But I'm telling you, there is a question that is better that precedes that. The question that precedes that is the one that feeds this question. The question before who are you looking out for is who was looking out for you? And when the answer is Jesus, all of a sudden it's like, that's why. That's why I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I have received grace, and now I want it to be given. I have received mercy, and now I want to show that to others. I have received love, and, and now I want to pass that on. It's, again, it's the language that you see in the early church as it is growing along. Again, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as. 
just as Christ God forgave you. Why should I forgive? Because he forgave me. Why should I be compassionate? Because I have experienced compassion. Why, why should I be kind? Because he has been kind to me. Who am I looking out for? That's the question I'm asking because someone was looking out for me. Why? Let's go back. Why? Let's keep going. Because it's envisioned by Jesus. Dishonors him. It's fueled by grace. Someone was looking out for me. And then just one more. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him, stay in the city and wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I will give you the power to do what you can't do on your own. In other words, I have outside help. It isn't just me. I have outside help. When I, when I step into these situations, it's not just me. It's somebody bigger than me. Now, you understand that outside help comes to live within you. I get that. So if you want to pick that statement apart, you can. But you, you get the point. It's not just me. It is his power that, that is now at work in me. And so let's get back to the funeral home. There's Bill. He's got two home openings today. He's got all these, all these appointments that need to be met. He told people and, and texts and emails and calls and everything. How in the world is he going to go to a funeral and still get all that done? It's because he's got outside help. He's got outside help. He's got the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life. And one of the things I challenge people with is sometimes I don't think we ever really lean into the power of God's Spirit because we just say, well, I, just, I, I can't do that because my schedule won't work. I can't, I can't do that because I can't have time. I, I can't do that because I would, be, I would be dropping this responsibility over here rather than saying, God, I believe this, this looks like this is the kind of place where you would show up. Jesus, this is the kind of moment that you would step into. You would, you would love Kenny. You would be there at the funeral. That's where I'm pretty sure that you would be. And so, Holy Spirit, if that's where you want me to be, Will you help me that all that other stuff that people think needs to happen today, would, would you make it happen? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I want to be smart with my time. I, I'll do it. I'm not, I'm not being lazy, but would you help me? It's why some of us don't ever actually know the power of God's spirit in our lives. It's because we just don't have time to schedule him in. I don't ever actually have to lean into him if I don't ever lose control of my time and the moment. So one more summary. Why? 
envisioned by Jesus, dishonors him, fueled by grace, someone was looking out for me, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I have outside help. As I'm telling you, that's what it looked like for those first followers of Jesus. This is why they would operate with radical compassion even when it meant radical inconvenience. Now just real quick today, we're talking about grace and we're talking about God's spirit. The truth is some of you are still trying to earn God. There are some of you here today who are still trying to earn his love. You are still trying to measure up. And I'm, I'm telling you, God doesn't love you because you are good. He loves you because he is good. He demonstrated that through Jesus. And if you think that you have to earn everything, I would bet you that in most situations in your life, you tend to expect the same from everybody else. And there's probably very little grace that you tend to give. Because the truth is, you've never actually received it. And there's very little mercy that you tend to show because you've never actually received it. There's very little love that you are willing to demonstrate because it hasn't flooded your own heart. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray that you would know how, how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Jesus. Because his first question wasn't, how much do you love Jesus? His first question was, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And when you do, it will change. Some of you, some of you need to sing the little song that you learned maybe when you were a little kid, Jesus loves me, every day. Every day, just sing it to yourself. Find you a spot where nobody else is around if you need to and just sing it to yourself. Not because you need to convince God but because you need to hear it. He loves me. He loves me. Here's my prayer, that God would make us better. Um, I think a lot of us like to operate like we would um, outside the, the hotel door, right? You ever checked into the hotel and, and they always have always something that looks like this on the inside that you can put on the outside. It says, please do not disturb, right? Don't knock on my door. Don't come in here and want to clean something up. Don't, do not bother me. May God rewire our hearts. That the banner that flies on this body, the banner that hangs on the door of this body, looks like this. Radical compassion requires radical inconvenience. For the next couple of months, you're going to hear us talking up life teams. You are. I hope you get sick of hearing it because that means we've almost said it enough. We're going to be talking up life teams. It's not that we're after some newfangled something that we would like to try. It's like, how about we just, how about we do it like they did it from the very first day. They come together, big gatherings, 
and then they meet together in homes. People growing, connecting, doing life together. I, I, some of us, I, I know that it's a risk. I know it's a risk. Um, for some of us, we, we kind of use our family as the insulation, to be honest. It's like, I got my family. I got my family, and my family's good. And to be honest, Jeff, I, I try not to venture too far outside of that because I know things get messy out there, and the priority is on my family, and Jesus said I should take care of my family. And honestly, we kind of use the blessing of God to sometimes keep us from risking in the places that he's called us to. Jesus tackled it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you love the people who love you, so do the tax collectors. That's like the worst thing he could have possibly brought up, tax collectors. He said, he said you only greet the people, your people, you only greet your people. He said, the pagans do that. See, some of you can stretch. Some of you can stretch in that Maybe even today. Maybe it's next week when you come in here. You could like, wherever you sit, like get up and walk over to the, another part of the room and like meet somebody who comes to the same big building that you do every single week for years and you don't know them. Just give it a shot. I'm giving everybody permission. Everybody permission to act kind. Everybody. Giving everybody, everybody permission to go, look, we've been coming here a long time, and I, I saw you all the way over there on the other side of the building. Every, every week you come in here, and I've seen you way over there on the other side. I know, I know that you're not new just like I'm not new, but nice to meet you. It's good to follow Jesus together. I'm saying, isn't it wild? That, that really can happen. It, it really can be that way in our lives, that we are so compartmentalized and we so kind of find our territories and we so insulate ourselves that it is absolutely terrifying for me to say something like, you really need to be involved in a group of people that sit around a table and talk about Jesus and try to follow him together because our struggle is even just to walk to a different place in the building sometimes and, and say hi. And so Jesus... Will you make us better? Will you, will you help us to see who's been looking after us? So that we would start asking those questions or who, who do we need to look out for? I'll give you more next week. That's enough. I'll pick it up there next week. I will say this. Maybe you're, you got enough today in, in the sense of you're like, Yes, I want to be in that. In fact, hey, Jeff, I would help lead that. I, I would help, like, I, I would be willing to, you know, host in a home, or I'd be willing to help be a part of Well, I, I know this is really quick, but I'm just throwing it out there. Tomorrow night at the vault, 630, all our existing Bible study teachers and all of, of our uh, existing life team leaders are going to be gathering there tomorrow night, and we're going to be talking about how we can get better at this and how, how we, where we need to, 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 to shift some things. If you're interested, come on. Come on. Invitation's open. Just because you show up doesn't mean we're going to shove you into some leadership spot and put you. That's not what I'm saying. But if you want to come find out what that looks like and maybe where that's going, then I'm, I'm inviting you to be a part of that tomorrow night.
I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to pray. Some of you, some of you need to take advantage of tonight because you've placed your faith in Jesus and it's time for you to follow in baptism. Take that step. I encourage you with everything that I've got. Take the step. Tonight's that night is going to be a fantastic celebration. Y'all, this ain't a game. This ain't a game. Jesus is real. And what he did for you and I, it is real. And this world around us, it is broken for real. It's broken. And people are hurting like crazy. And if you even just love them a little bit, magnetic. I'll pray. And then they're going to give you a little more info about the celebration tonight, just to kind of help you know where to go in, all that kind of stuff. All right? I love you guys. Let me pray. God, um, we know that it can be because we just read it this morning. God, your church really can be that beautiful. It can be that magnetic. It, it can be that compassionate. It can be that unselfish. God, it can be the kind of place where every single person says, I belong there. But God, some of us, we're always wanting that feeling of belonging, but we always want somebody else to bring that when really the road to that is us being willing to ask that question, who am I looking out for? Who, who am I going to care for? God, help us to believe you on that. Help, help us to have enough faith to trust you on that. God, I, yes, even you showed us in Scripture that when we start, we start demonstrating compassion, we start getting involved in people's lives, it gets messy. It gets messy. Sometimes it's crazy inconvenient. It's crazy inefficient. But wow, we get to know your heart. We get to love like we have been loved. We get to show mercy. We get to demonstrate grace like it has been demonstrated to us. God, thank you for loving us that much. May your love move us to be a people with radical compassion, even when it requires radical inconvenience. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.